0: Welcome to our newest adventure for First Responder Wellness, No One Fights Alone, in-depth conversations about mental health and culture in the First Responder space. We're joined by your co-hosts, Austin Pedersen and Brad Shepard.
1: Welcome back to the No One Fights Alone podcast. Uh, We are coming off of a week of great work at uh, the Chateau trip with Los Angeles, California, and my counterpart, my co-host is under the weather, so I am uh, filling in solo, and I want to welcome everybody to uh, to back to the No One Fights Alone podcast, and I have today an absolutely a wonderful uh, therapist out of Texas, Cindy Doyle, with Code for Couples. Welcome to the No One Fights Alone podcast, Cindy. Thanks for coming on.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much, Brad. It's good to be here.
1: Oh, I'm so happy to have you. <laughs> How's the... Uh, it was absolutely... Uh, just stifling hot in California this week and I come back and it's the same here. And I know you're right down the road in Texas.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, I think we're on day 11 of, of, a hundred degrees. It's somewhat dissatisfying. I will say like, I would rather because we've had some dips where we've had a couple of days in the nineties and I'd be like, screw that. Let's just get all the hundreds and like break some records. That feels like I'm get suffering for with. a purpose at least as opposed to yeah. just like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no purpose. You're just going to have some hot days. Yeah, it's just been hot. We planted a garden. It's crap.
1: We did a podcast the other day in uh 106 degree outside weather and we went inside the building Ooh. to his office. His air air conditioning was off, so we did a Oh gosh. uh about a 2-hour session in no AC.
2: Oh, that's
1: It was a rough, sweaty session. Yeah,
2: if you want to introduce yeah. some um some adversity in your life, like if yeah. you want to practice, you know, how do I move through adversity? That would be one for sure.
1: <laughs> well, Cindy is a uh, therapist that works uh, with first responders. Her experience in the first responder world is is uh, quite deep and up to and including you live with a first responder. I, I do. Yes. <laughs> married to a police officer, a lieutenant down in uh, in your village. and uh, I, I'm so grateful to have you on. One of our most downloaded podcasts has been a uh, married a couple. Uh, and they were very transparent about their uh, trauma, their traumatic experience, but more uh, more so about how difficult uh, that was on their marriage and people just seem to gravitate that. So, so we are uh, really trying to focus in on uh, giving the listeners uh, some background in this difficult journey of relationships with first responders. So, uh, let me just uh, let me just start off. Let's let's dive into it a little bit. Uh, your experience as a therapist in this first responder world, and specifically in relationships. If we keep this podcast specific to how do we navigate this crazy thing, uh, marriage or connection or partnering uh, in this crazy first responder world. How do we? do Wow, that,
2: that is. A really broad question, and if that's a lot, if we had ten hours, maybe we could talk about that. Let me let me back up a little bit. I'll tell you a little bit about some of my failures and how sure. I wound up where I am. Maybe that would be helpful. So, um, and I'm a licensed professional counselor in Texas, and I'm married to a law enforcement officer, like you said. And I was working in my office in my practice, and I was helping. Um, I, I, work with individuals and couples both, but, um, cause I need some diversity working with couples all day would be really tiring. Uh, but uh, what I started to notice in my, is that I was able to work with, uh, couples and help them heal, but I kept trying to figure out what was different in my relationship because I, it just felt different and weird. And I had these skills that I was trying to use with my husband and I'm like, I don't get it why does our communication suck so bad? Uh, Why do I feel disconnected? Why is our, and I want to be clear, like we were having sex, like that wasn't a problem. It was this intimacy or this closeness that we felt. Um, I felt really dismissed in my relationship. Uh, I didn't understand like he would come home and I'd want to talk to him. And many times it was, it would be like, I wouldn't see him for two or three days. Right. Because we're ships passing in the night. He's working deeps. I'm working eight to five kind of a thing. And so I wouldn't see him. Um, and except for when he was sleeping, um, as a side note, I, at one point in time, I kept myself occupied by doing scrapbooking and I took, I, I snuck into the bedroom and took pictures of him sleeping. And did like scrapbook pages of like, this is my relationship where he was sleeping. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of,
1: this is us bonding. Yeah. We're bonding <laughs> yeah. right here. Him sleeping and I'm. Scrapping. Yeah.
2: And so there was, um, you know, as a spouse, um, your life shifts because we don't have the same lifestyle. I was going to gatherings and people were ha ha ha, giving me a hard time. And are you really married? And why can't he just get off? And, well, if it was really important, he'd be here like these comments that are really snarky, which as a spouse on that end, it, it's like a cheese grater, you know, it's, you have compassion and you want to have his back, right? Or their back. And on the other side, you're kind of like, No, I'm kind of pissed about it, too. Why can't he get off? And so why can't he ask off? Why can't he do that? And why can't he just get up on four hours sleep and come with me to do this thing. So our relationship started to have some struggles uh, because I shut down. Like I was the one who put the walls up and he's, he's just doing his own thing. And because I was nervous to be seen as not being a supportive spouse, then I really wasn't communicating and that was a big part of the problem within our relationship and i just shoved that stuff i don't know if i could swear in your podcast i just shoved you can. okay i just shoved that shit down as deep as i could go right like just shove it down i'm fine i'm a strong spouse and i you know i i have my husband's back like that's where i was going with it and that's why i wanted to be seen like i didn't want to be seen as one of those naggy bitchy wives And so it was really important to me to like put on this emotional armor and to power through. And what I got historically from other spouses, chief spouse, the the higher up spouses were like, yeah, that's what just what happens. You just got to suck it up and move on. And the shit kind of hit the fan around 2012, which was 12 years into our marriage. I think he was sergeant at the time. Um, and I was just really tired of being second. Um, I was pissed and I would cry in private and I, but I wouldn't tell him. He didn't know that I wasn't talking to him. He didn't know that there was actually a problem. He just thought things were fine because I would, you know, make his lunch. I would spend time with him. Like I said, we were having sex. So that solves everything. Right. Um, but I really wasn't sharing much with him. I really, because what I was getting on the opposite end was I was getting the grunts of like, uh, uh, right. He wasn't engaged with me and I would be like, Oh my gosh, can't you just say like, Oh, that seems hard. And he would look at me and go, Oh, that seems hard. Right. It's this pattern. It's not (laughs) that he didn't care. He loved me immensely. He would write me little sticky notes and, and text me and we would, you know, text things back and forth. And so there wasn't, it wasn't obvious, but inside I was irritable. Um, and I just, I, I tell a story many times of how I was trying to talk to him and tell a story about something. And he's listening for What's, what, what do I need to do? So he's making coffee. I'm leaning over like the high countertop of the kitchen and I'm talking to him about the story and I'm talking, right? Talking like a girl does, right? Talk, talk, talk. And he's making coffee and he looks at me and he does this get on with it thing with his hand, you know, that circley motion, like, come on, oh, get on yeah. with it. Yeah. And he does that to me. And I just look at him and I shut up and I just stop talking. And he's like, what? Why'd you stop talking? I'm like, well, obviously you're like, get to the point. I was like, he said, I am. I need to know what the point is. What are you getting at? I said, what I'm getting at is the story. I'm telling you the story and you're like, like get to the point. And that was an regular argument of ours. Like I wanted to share my experience. Wow. This is emotional for me. I wanted to share my experience and he just wanted to get to the facts. Right. Does that sound familiar? just the facts, ma'am. Oh, every day. Right. Yep. And so we were having this conflict, but didn't really know why. Nothing explained it. Nobody told me about Gil Martin's book. And I was just lost. And I was kind of like, I don't understand. I'm letting my husband into my world. This is what doc- Dr. John Gottman tells me. Dr. Sue Johnson tells me, like, I need to say like the story I have right now. Like I had all these therapeutic skills and nothing was changing. And I was like, Finally, at one point in time, I said, you know what? I have to take my own advice as a clinician and maybe, maybe there's something else that I don't know. And that's when I started to finally try to get curious about what was going on because there really wasn't, there were a couple books out there, but most of those books focused on trauma. And as far as I knew, and as far as my husband knew no, no trauma. Yeah. He'd been to some people that have blown their heads off, you know, those kinds of things. He'd come right, home right. and tell me about brain matter, but it didn't seem like there was this compounding nature of trauma or what's really happening. And so, um, my first aha moment was when I was at a counseling conference. And I was listening to a military veteran talk about post-traumatic stress disorder, but he was talking about what I now know is Cooper's colors. And he was talking about, um, the OODA loop. And that was my first inkling of something else was happening because when my husband and I would go out, his head was on a swivel, Right looking around. We know yep. why, right? We right. know technically right. why, Absolutely. like I'm checking out the doors, right. I'm looking, I'm observing. And to me, it was, a, I would tell him, I was like, can't you just freaking turn it off? I'm not going to say word. Can't you just turn it <laughs> off? Like just freaking turn it off. And he would say, what, what am I doing? I'm like, you're looking everywhere, but at me, obviously I'm not interesting to you. Obviously I'm not important, right? Because what do we learn about communication? I need to have eye contact. Right? right? And if I'm not having eye contact, you must not be listening to me. And so the story in my head is something else is more important. I'm boring. Who has bigger boobs than I do, right? Like and I would even say like who are you staring where at? Where, yeah, where is she? And it's not because I was jealous, but at the same time like I wanted that attention. And what we knew what I've been taught even as a clinician that attention is is different. And so that wasn't connecting. And so spouses do not know and couples do not know because it's important for officers and your first responders to understand this as well. Because my my firefighters and my paramedics do this as well, right? They're looking around, maybe not as much as officers, but they're looking for safety. And we knew it was a joke like, ha ha ha, we're going to put the back to the wall. Yes, you're looking around, making sure the exits are clear, but we didn't understand the impact. And so When I found out about that OODA loop, then I texted him. I was like, do you OODA? And he was like, where are you? Actually, he said, where the hell are you is what he said. (laughs) And he's like, yeah, I know what the OODA loop is. I'm like, why doesn't anybody tell me this? And so it was our first moment that I was like, oh, crap. Maybe there's something else here. Probably the second moment we had was when he was reading. um, uh, uh, Oh, my gosh. I just forgot his name. I could see his face. Oh on combat grossman oh yeah uh, yeah grossman. yeah yeah he was yeah. reading grossman's book grossman. on, on combat and he looks at me and he says do do you know what the dsm is i'm like yeah it's my diagnostic manual and he says am i a sociopath and i look and i'm like n- n- no you you know the difference the moral right thing to do so you're not a sociopath what the, what the hell are you reading And so then we started to have this conversation about that. And so it's a joke a little bit, but I tell you all that to say this, like the biggest problem in our relationships is that we don't understand each other. We don't understand the impact, the psychological impact, the conditioning that happens on this job that does not turn off when an officer or a first responder goes home. And the conditioning that happens in a spouse as well, because it takes something in me An emotional armor to let you walk out every day knowing that you could not come back home. And we don't talk about those things.
1: Absolutely. So profound. So there's a snippet in there that makes me wonder, was he reading or listening or somehow connecting that DSM um, or the sociopath question? Was he searching for, something, what's going on within his relationship or within himself as well? Or is it just a happen? Yeah, I okay. think it
2: was a happenstance. I think I I know some of his mentors and some of his mentors probably recommended that he reads right. on combat, on killing, those kinds of things. And so he was reading those books, uh, trying to understand more about his mindset. Right. And sure, I don't think he put it together as far as that it would impact our relationship because we didn't think about the slow slide, but it really was a slow slide. I was like, I don't know where that funny guy that I married went to. And I would see him show up in public. And I'm like, what the hell? You laugh and joke with all these people outside of our relationship, but when we come home, it's different, but that's conditioning, right? So the conditioning is you turn it on when you're out in public, you don't, you you know, serve the public. Don't say no. Like there's so many things that go along with uh, being a first responder and the conditioning that comes with it. Like everybody needs help. So now I got to fix everything. Well, guess what? In order to have intimacy, what we need is connection. I don't need you to fix it for me. I need you to hear me. I need you to connect emotionally with me. How many first responders go around going, let me connect emotionally all day to people. They'd be screwed, right? Talk about trauma. Like, let's bring on that trauma by connecting emotionally to everything. Like, it doesn't work. So what keeps them safe negatively impacts them at home. Because what makes a solid relationship is not what makes a good first responder.
1: So if we, if we, one of the things that you actually said in there that really resonated with me is that you got curious. Yeah. And I think oftentimes uh, inside our relationships, we don't get curious enough. I love that word uh, because you're diving in to something that is outside your normal knowledge base or your normal uh, habits that you do one day. Yeah. That you're really saying, "I need to get curious." I love that word. So you are exploring within your own within your own marriage to say, "Okay, there's something missing." Right. And instead of actually just pointing the finger and blaming, yes. you know, you're being, you're being an ass. <laughs>
2: which I did.
1: You actually start looking. <laughs> Stop being yeah. an asshole, right? Right. And which we're, per, we're pretty good at it for first responders. Uh, that, that is kind of our thing. Right. Come home. You're, you're grouchy. You're irritable. You've had a long day of listening to everybody else's shit and, and you just come home and you're going to be the asshole for a mm-hmm. while or indefinitely mm-hmm. until, you know, something else. Uh, and, and kudos to you for actually moving the needle here and saying, you know what, I'm getting curious about, I need to learn more about him, about, uh, uh, what's going on with him, why he's working, what makes him tick, right. All these, these things, uh, and, and Cooper's Col- colors had to have been an enormously valuable piece. If you weren't aware of that or, or OODA loop, you know, observe oriented, uh, decided act. And then you're, you know, redirecting the entire compilation of what you described there. You, we can spend, Hours on, yes. Uh, but 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 so let so let's talk. How, where did you go from there? How did that improve? How did that actually just being aware of looking at this, that this man, this human being, and saying, "Okay, I'm starting to understand you." How did that actually culminate into bettering your relationship?
2: So it started with me. I can't, and I think if he was in here, I could drag him in because he's in the next room. But mm-hmm. um, yeah. I think he would agree that I'm the one who said, okay, I'm going to do things a little bit differently. I don't, I didn't say, I didn't go and criticize him. I I just try to understand maybe what was happening different. So when I learned about, so Eventually, I start. I'm I'm weird. I'm a giant nerd, and so I was reading research articles on like counsel, like you know, psychology, criminal, not criminal psychology, police psychology, and but just general counseling articles, right? And I would read these articles, and I found Gil-, Gil Martin's book, which I laughed throughout all of Gil Martin's book because I was like, "Is this guy living in my house? Maybe
1: because it's so true."
2: Yes for my 20th anniversary, my husband read Martin. That tells you something. Okay. Because I have, I started doing my own research on this in like 2014, 2015. And, and so then like for him to like my anniversary president present in 2020, like really, it took that long, but he was also laughing. And I was like, what are you doing? He's like, Oh, I'm laughing about everything. Um, But the curiosity and understanding that I was not alone in this process was huge. The fact that I could put my hand, especially on Gil Martin's book and go, oh, my God, it's not just me. Like, this happens with other people. Um, And really diving in helped me not feel alone. So then it's like, okay, this is a thing. It's not, let's just talk crap about our husbands or our spouses, right? It's like, let's try to understand it. And so I would try to put myself in his shoes as best I could and kind of going, okay, what would happen now? He's probably tired. So how can I help him to recover? And so I started doing things that were a little bit different. Um, I started understanding that right when he came home was not really probably the best time to throw up sorry you know like verbally vomit a whole bunch of right, like right, information right. and so we started uh trying to figure out a time to do things what we did right that we didn't know we were doing is we had something called we would called it porch time um and we do it now even when it's 102 out um but we would have porch time because we have a front porch and a back porch and then we have a porch with a fountain in the backyard right it's kind of a porch it's a patio area and so we would have porch time and what we had what we did do right was we set aside time to talk what we were what the struggle was was trying to do it trying to s- communicate with each other in a different way around feelings i tried it to i, I tried it is that a word? I try to connect with it I is. try it is an Oklahoma. thank you. I try to connect with him more on his feelings. Like what was that like for you? Of course, that drove him nuts a little bit. And what he will say is, quit psychotherapizing me, is he what he would say. But <laughs> I I made sure that the door was open. Um, some of the other really easy things that we did um was that I started saying up front, hey. I don't need you to fix this. I just need to tell you a story. And he's like, all right, I just want to like share with you. That's a story that happened. So you just need to listen to the story. And he's like, mm, okay. But that was helpful because he's not like, how do I need to solve your problem? Now he's still, and he'll tell you now, actually we just a little while ago, he still has a habit of, you know what you should do. And I'm like, Quit shooting mm-hmm. on me, right? Like I don't need right, this right. fixed. I just need you to listen. And just even before I came in here, he says, Well, you know what? You should. Oh, never mind. I'm not gonna tell you what to do. I was like, thank you. But it's it takes years, right? You know, when you're that used to so hard. It is when you're used to fixing <laughs> people's problems all day, right? Um, there's other some of the crazy things. Um <laughs> when he would drive. Now, when we first dated, I was like, what is wrong with this person? This guy goes the speed limit. He was not a cop when I met him. I met him and then he went into the academy. So he he drove the speed limit. He like was a really cautious driver. But then over the years, I'm like, hold on, because now it's like zero to 60 or 80 in like 2.5 seconds, right? <laughs> like press on that gas pedal and go. And I'm like, holy shit right? It scares me, right? But I'm like, whatever. And then everybody is, you know, an asshole on the road and they're in my way. Like the whole mindset changed over the years. And what I used to do is you need to slow down. You need to calm down, quit swearing at people. And I would criticize because I wasn't safe or comfortable. And that had to change. What I had to say, was Well, first of all, the first thing I did was I started going, "Yeah, they're a bunch of assholes," and he's like, "Yeah," because then I'm on his team as opposed to being against him, which is just something creative, and it worked because then he like defu- like got it out, and then he looks at me, he's like, "Yeah, like you're with me," and then we could move We're on. Together, yeah, and it didn't, it didn't involve or devolve into a fight or an argument. Sometimes sure. now, what I might say is, "Hey." I'm feeling really nervous because it seems like we're going super fast and my whole body is like lit up right now. And he'll kind of look at me and go, and he'll slow down. But that's like, that has taken years to get there because I couldn't verbalize those things. Um, The natural reaction is to be like, slow down, right? Um, There were just all these little changes in communication that I had to think about I had to think about, this is a crazy thing, Um, holidays, right? So holidays, I was so caught up in thinking about how it sucked that I had to spend my holiday alone, that I never really thought about what it was like for him, ever. It was, and we talked about it later on, and he he had come to me at some point in time. He said, can you please, my, my parents live in Austin which is three and a half hours away. And I would just go to Austin. Fine. You got to work. I'll go, I'll go to Austin, spend Christmas. And at some point in time he came and he said, can you please never leave on Christmas again? And I was like, oh yeah, sure. But it wasn't until later that he would share stories with me about that Christmas Eve was the hardest day for him. I'm going to get, cause it was, it sucks so bad for me to hear that, that I was so absorbed in what life was like for me feeling lonely that I didn't get that he was lonely as well. Especially
1: if you're sending your loved ones to in in, yeah. in good and earnest uh, uh, compassion for your loved one to say, well, I don't want you to have to miss family. You right. go ahead. But, I, but I've been there, done that, yep. where I'm sitting at the house by myself. You know, maybe a phone call. Right. Uh, back in the day, there was before Facetime. Yeah. Uh, a phone totally. call. I hope you guys are having fun. And then you hang right. up and like look around and you're. This is it. This is my Christmas Eve right here.
2: Yeah. And I think yeah. that goes around. That comes around too. Like you're talking about protecting your family, right? He finally said something, but he never shared. Like I would sit in my patrol car, and I would sit in the neighborhood, and I would watch everybody's Christmas lights come on, and mm-hmm. I would think about how they were hanging out with their family. And how I was so alone, and he, like, he never shared that. It was probably seven, year seventeen or eighteen that he finally shared that with me, and I was like, "Shit, why didn't I? Why didn't we talk about this beforehand?" I think part of that is the conditioning of protecting your family, right? So, of course, you don't come home and necessarily share everything that happened on that day, mostly because you don't want to go through it yourself, and you don't want your family to have to be exposed to the shit that you see every day. Because you don't want them to experience that trauma that you experience. And so because of that, we don't connect in the same way that like an accountant might poor accountants I pick on them all the time. Um, but yeah. you know we Top don't your
1: salesman my yeah, we don't
2: share we don't share it in the same way. And so it takes taking off that emotional armor on both of our parts to really, start to understand what it's like in the other person's world, not because there's a guilt or a shame. It's just facts. Like this is what your partner deals with. This is what it's like to be away from you all the time. This is what it's like to be on patrol or in the firehouse all the time. I don't know what other people call it. We call it a firehouse. Um, so just, just trying to understand and sharing a little bit of that, um, because it's not comfortable um at one point in time when I was talking about what it was like on my end my husband was like, well, I'm sorry I don't know what you expect me to do about it I'm like I don't expect you to do anything except understand right I'm trying to understand what it's like on your end um we did start making jokes about the OODA loop uh, <laughs> and, and um like he would be swimming like oh what you see what's going on um we also like I'll pick on the OODA loop a little bit but You know, we started accommodating for it and accommodating for hypervigilance when we'd be on vacation. Um, We were out of town. um, I'll just say it. We were in Florence. (laughs) We were in not Florence, Texas, um, but like we were in Florence in Italy. And Mm -hmm. I could tell that he was really uncomfortable. And I said, hey, what can I do to make you feel more comfortable right now? He said, honestly, I would love to just go to a cafe and have an espresso and sit for a minute and so I can feel like I don't have to be so hypervigilant right now. I was like, cool, let's go. And then as, as it went along, I would notice that I'm like, hey, seems like you're kind of getting caught up in other things and not able to be here. What can I do? He said, you know, I'm okay if, we, if I just stand right here. I know you want to go into these shops. Can you just go into the shop, do whatever you need to do, just like say, hey, I'm okay, and then go into the next one, and I can just put my back here and just kind of be like keep myself a little bit calm because I'm starting to get overloaded. Cool, right? But before we would go on vacations, I was like, this is annoying. Why can't you connect with me? And my emotions and what I I wanted to experience – would get in the way. Holding hands, right? Holding hands is a thing. He, I always say, hold your partner's hand, but keep your gun hand free now is what I say. Like, hold it with your left, but allow them to keep their gun hand free just in case. Um, but I think what we, I know, what we grow up with as the idea of a, a relationship and what it needs to look like dies when we get involved or get married to a first responder, because our life changes. It's not going to be the same. And we have to allow that grief process and not just be like, I'm fine. Like we have to, we have to acknowledge what we miss out on and we're okay in other ways. So I talked a lot.
1: (laughs) No, that, so, so there's so many things I I love. And thank you so much for, for uh, letting us peek into your uh, relationship there. That is, that's powerful uh, there's so many things that I'd really like to follow up on that, but I think, I think it's really important to hear actually what you're saying there, what you're experiencing there, uh, within this hypervigilant state. And mm-hmm. I would, I would really, if you don't mind, what are some of those things? I know what they look like for me. Yeah. Uh, but what do some of those things look like for maybe some listeners out here who, uh, there, there's, there's, two sets of listeners that I think uh, have chimed into this and said, Hey, we want more uh, with, with this is one is the actual first responder. How do I actually start communicating some of these things back? Cause they don't know what's going on. Uh-huh. Uh, and I would dare say uh, your husband at the time, probably he didn't know he was doing it. He didn't have any idea. It was just part of it and became, you know, was blissfully unaware of right. uh, how out of tune he was. But the other side is the, the, the partner is sitting there saying, how how do I communicate that I don't like what's going on? I'm unhappy with what's going on. So these hypervigilance things that are going on, what did that look like for him?
2: I'm going to talk about it maybe from his perspective and then I'll talk about it from the spouse, mm-hmm. but it's easy for me to talk about it from the spouse perspective. But um, from a first responder standpoint, especially if I'm trying to educate first responders in my office, um, what, I, what they need to be... Re- Uh, what they need to be attuned to is their body. And many times they're not, I always say like you're checked out from the neck down, Um, but being attuned to your body. um, So do you feel a tightness in your chest? Do you feel like a pressure? Do you start to feel like a creepy feeling coming up your neck? Um, what are some aspects that you know that you're starting to feel uncomfortable with what's going on? What are ways that you feel, what are triggers to you feeling out of control? Because many times with hypervigilance, we're talking about the feeling of getting back into control, right? I feel out of control. I need to feel in control. This is the fight or flight experience dumps of cortisol. It feels good, but here's the other aspect is that I'm going to, i I'll bet my license on this. Um, many times what happens is that conditioning, it's like Pavlov's dog. Okay. So we're talking like psychology 101, that mm-hmm. it's hey, I'm going on the job, which is in public. And so therefore I my body is hypervigilant, right? So job equals hypervigilance. But through as the career goes on, it's public hypervigilance. So anytime that mm-hmm. I'm out in public, my body wants to kick that on because I don't know if y'all remember Pavlov's, but it's like the bell and the stimulus of the saliva, right? right? right. So it's the it wasn't bell, by the way. It was footsteps, by the way. But, um, hmm. but the footsteps stimulated the saliva, not the food. And that's the same thing that happens to first responders. I go in public, my hypervigilance goes on. It doesn't have anything to do with the job. So checking out when you are wanting to be with your family and be present, developing some mindfulness techniques? Are you present? Are you clued into what's going on with the people that you love and you care about? Or are you more worried about like what's going on around you? Like there needs that goes back to the Cooper's colors, right? So it's like you're going to live in the yellow. We know that. And how can you attune and be mindful to where you are in your physical location? So if you start realizing that you're not clued in on conversation or what you're what your, uh, family is doing, it would be a good clue that that needs to change a little bit. Can I
1: add to that before, before the, so, so from a, from a standpoint of, of what, just to follow up and, and I absolutely love where you're going with this because the first responders, the, the conditioning, as you put it, is a transition somewhere from this is a job I do every day to this is my life. This is, this is functionality, how I exist in life, uh, specifically, right. uh, the calling you have, if you will, uh, to be a protector of society, uh, instead of just a job. So when you're going out and, and that includes more so even our family, if our family's there, then that protector gene is running oh. in high gear.
2: Absolutely. All the way.
1: Right. Yes. Is that fair?
2: Yes, totally. So, yeah. Um, I think so, from, so go ahead.
1: Well, from the relationship side, so sorry, I didn't, I didn't want to slow you down. I yeah, keep, no, that's so on. from
2: the spouse side, I think what some of the narratives, the stories that we have when somebody is in hypervigilance is that we're going to feel like they're not attuning to us, that they're not paying attention, that be careful of that narrative. That might be something that feels like that might be hypervigilance or like oodle loop is part of that hypervigilance, right? Irritability is another one to look for. If all of a sudden, and I have so many stories about, and even with with my podcast, I'm interviewing um, first responders. They're like, oh my gosh, yes, that authoritarian spillover. So if all of a sudden, like I've gone conversationally to now I'm speaking staccato and I'm like, you go there, right? And, and doing those kinds of things, that might be a clue. Um, so we have to be aware of, what are these signs that are saying, hey, this is kicked on in a different way and we need to be aware and accommodate. I'm, because I'm a counselor and because I just, I feel like, I deal with emotions all day long. So people come into my office and I'm just like, I can feel it, right? So I can feel if something's like edgy and I know other people can too. So sometimes with my husband, it might be like, Oh, okay. What's going on? (laughs) He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, uh, your, your whole energy is like prickly right now. And he's like, really? And then he'll say, well, I'm a little bit nervous about this and this, and he'll start talking about it. So if we make it as a couple, if we make it something that if we make hypervigilance and the OODA loop and that conditioning, something that keeps our first responders safe on the job, but we also understand that the brain doesn't like, Oh, you're home. Let me turn that switch off. Like our neuro pathways don't make it, like, they don't distinguish that necessarily. So if we understand that that just comes with it, but we can work to accommodate, we can work to identify and then accommodate and, and turn it down. Then we've succeeded as a couple. Um, As as a spouse approaching it, I really recommend uh, stating your observations and then stating a need. So what you can't say is, you're being an asshole. I need you to get your shit together, right? That's not going to go well. But, (laughs) But I can say, hey, I noticed that you're turning your head quite a bit and that there was a really sharp interaction with our kiddo right there. And I'm wondering if you're feeling edgy now or maybe more hypervigilant. And what I need us to do is to figure out how to get you to a place where you feel more safe. Or what I need us to do is have a really good experience here tonight. How can we make that happen? So you're not blaming the other person. You're working as a team, which is so important. That team, team, us, we, how can we, I need us to that language is really important because then there's no blame. It's not you suck. It's hey, this third party is in our relationship and we need to address this third party. And that's really how I look at it like I have a little item in my office and I'm like this is this is hypervigilance. Let's talk about how to address that. So looking at it as like this thing is going to be in our relationship and how do we me to accommodate for it
1: you know there's so many so many aspects of what you're saying is is is, is rings true in in my personal life but uh, in teaching this for a number of years uh, one of the things that I I tell people all the time is 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 this uh, this concept that you there's somebody in here I don't say those words but you're taking somebody to dinner with you always yeah uh, yeah I, I talk about that a lot mm-hmm. that that if if for a spouse, if you have an expectation of that person not being with you, it's pretty unrealistic Mm -hmm. because that person can show up and like start waving its hand around really quick in the relationship. And I know personally it only takes seeing somebody walk in the door that I see that is a threat of some type. I don't know yet what it is, but it is a threat. And by the time that person's walked through that door with my back to the wall, Mm -hmm. watching the front door uh, that spouse uh, that wants to have a nice romantic candlelit Italian dinner uh, that just became very secondary to high alert. This person may do something bad to something. There's absolutely there's any number of things that could happen. And you, you're your, your <clears throat> first responder, you're specifically for, for what I know to be true law enforcement cop saying bad things are, are, coming and I need to be prepared for it at all times. Yeah. And yeah. my entire focus now comes over there and I'm not hearing anything of what's going on over there. And the spouse just gets angry, yep. right? Yes. We're, th- 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 very simply put, we just let that person come in and start waving his hand saying, hey, I'm here and you're going to have to deal with it. Yes. I love the messaging with this. So if we, so if we look at this from a standpoint of this is this is the person. I love where you're going. I bring them in the office. How are you going to deal with this person? What are some of those things? Let's say this is brand new to people. Uh, some of our listeners are saying, "I know exactly what you're saying. Now what? What what does Cindy say? Okay, how do we start having these conversations about how to deal with the the person that coming to dinner with us? That you know, it's not it's not really an option. They're coming. Yeah, yeah, they're coming to dinner. They are. They're coming to whatever event. <laughs> you know. They went to Italy with yes, you. Yes,
2: they do. <laughs> I you know, it's you have to be willing to hear how it impacts your partner. So if you're a first responder, you have to be willing to hear the facts, not take it personally. You're not a bad person. This is it just happens, right? So let's let's learn how it impacts, okay? just listening to that can make a huge change because if I can validate for my partner, my spouse and say, wow, that that's horrible. That sucks. Yes, it does. Thank you. Like that's man, if you need like brownie points, that's brownie points right there. So that just validating it. Right.
1: You know what? And, and sometimes we don't even know we're doing,
3: mm-hmm.
1: it. we, we, we become so disconnected from that and engaged in what's going on and watching over there or over here, sometimes we don't even know we're done.
3: Chateau Recovery is a 16-bed treatment facility nestled in the foothills of the Wasatch Mountains in Midway, Utah. Chateau's First Responder Resiliency Program is designed to treat the unique challenges and issues that first responders encounter in the course of their careers. Chateau's comprehensive and highly individualized approach to treatment addresses more than just the presenting issues it addresses the why. Each of their seasoned, trauma-trained, and culturally competent therapists utilize evidence-based, specialized therapies to treat trauma at its core and enable clients to begin the healing process while developing a resilient and healthy relationship with stress. Chateau Recovery is trusted by departments and agencies from around the country to treat responders and veterans. In fact, it is one of only a handful of facilities nationwide that is vetted and approved to treat members of the Fraternal Order of Police. For more information or to speak to a representative, go to chateaurecovery.com or call 888-507-5031.
0: No One Fights Alone is also sponsored by first responder trauma counselors. First Responder Trauma Counselors are subject matter experts in proactive behavioral healthcare for frontline workers through their National Peer Support Academy. This 40-hour All Badges, All Uniforms, and All Scrubs educational experience helps to create caring, honest, and empathetic peer support relationships with your fellow frontline workers. The FRTC National Peer Support Academy is taught by actual first responders who have gone back to school to become culturally competent licensed behavioral health clinicians that teach from lived experiences, not just theories from books. This fast-paced, immersive educational academy will not just change your life, it will help you save the lives of others. For additional details, visit 991overwatch.org or call 970-222419-3. This could be the most life-changing academy you'll ever attend.